Oh, control your mind, control your life. Think different theory, baby. That's what we do. We're live with Steve Sims. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, you know, I, uh, we get a lot of applications that come through, a lot. And we saw yours and uh, kind of processed through everything. We're like, okay, this guy looks cool. I think we'll talk to him. And then uh, I found out you're speaking on stage with not only Ryan Dice, but also my, my boy, my, my, my very good friend, uh, Mr. Russell Brunson. You're on stage with him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, it's me and Russell, we've never met. Let me be completely oh, really? blunt. This is the first time. Now, I've met Ryan. I've actually spoken at uh, that um, uh, annual event in Mexico. So I've met that crowd, and I've been in the vicinity a million and one times with Russell, and so this would be the first time that I'm close with him. But it's really, it's really cool to be uh, be able to be on that stage with that uh, that level of titan. That's that's amazing. And where where specifically are you speaking? I can't remember the gig. So Brian Kurtz is a very well known copywriter, and he has an event called Titans Mastermind. Yeah, and he's got. I'd be wrong if I didn't give a shout out to Roland Frazier and to Dean Jackson, who are part of the the group as well at the moment. Dean Jack. Um, Roland Frazier and Ryan are actually partners in Traffic and Conversion, Got so it. along with uh, Perry Belcher. So it's a really good tight group to be in, and that's at the end of this month. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that, and uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's well-deserved. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it because I, I know very, very little about you except what, what has come through, and that's kind of that's my specialty. I like going into a conversation not knowing anything, so that way I can kind of uncover and unpack with the audience as well. So what, give us a little bit of context. How did you end up on stage next to guys like Russell and Ryan? Because like those are some big names. I mean, people, that's some coveted company right there. What do you do? Kind of what's your background there? Well, for 25 years, I was probably the most uh, connected, unknown person in the planet. <laughs> I, I invented the world's first experiential concierge firm uh, for billionaires and millionaires. Um, and I started that in the early 90s, and it went on for 25 years. I've done things like helped put people in space, uh, sent them down to the Titanic. Oh, my God. Got them married in the Vatican by the Pope, had them a drum lesson by Guns N' Roses, um, sang on stage with uh, their favorite rock band. Um, I've worked for people from the New York Fashion Week, Sir Elton John's uh, Oscar party, uh, the Kentucky Derby to the Ferrari Cavallino Classic. So I, Forbes <laughs> an Entrepreneur, actually called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. But the tag that I really liked was I'm the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. Um, That's about, <laughs> I like yeah, that. That's awesome. About three years ago, I got asked in a party to write a book naming all the famous people that um, I dealt with. Now, I work with a lot of famous people, but they probably make up about 15% of my client bank. Mm. The rest of my clients are people that you've never heard of before that own things like countries, banks, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, I, One of my clients is the largest real estate owner for shopping malls in Russia. So can you imagine an entire country oh and he owns my. more shops? Yes, but this kind of guy would walk down the street in Hollywood and no one would have a clue. And no one, right, was. right. But he's just stupid loaded, wealthy, influential. You have no clue who he is. Oh, my God. You know, with, with just a kind of a glance, his black card could buy Hollywood. Um, <laughs> those are the kind of clients I dealt with. And I was asked, hey, why don't you write a book on it? Because I'm a, I'm a kid that got kicked out of school at 15. Um, I started becoming a bricklayer. Ended up becoming a doorman at a nightclub and then just wanted to surround myself with rich people because I didn't want to surround myself with poor people because I knew what being poor was like because I was poor. <laughs> um, and it grew from there. So three years ago, I got asked to do a book, Naming Names. I said no because I wanted to stay alive. Yeah, and, then yeah. they, <laughs> and then they said, hey, why don't you write a book on how a bricklayer can now be working with Elon Musk and Richard Branson? Why don't you do that? So yeah. I did it. So three years ago, I basically got a little bit more well known, and then pff, I've done. I've spoken at Harvard twice, to Pentagon, um, and wow, big stages like this, and they just seem to keep continuing. That's incredible. And I, this is one of my favorite topics: building relationships, networking with people. I'm sure we're going to dive into that. I got to ask you though, my favorite person on the planet right now, my, my, the entrepreneur go-to person. And I'm like, he's the hero. He's the savior of the world. He's Elon Musk. What'd you do with Elon? 
So Elon, I worked with Elon and Peter Diamandis, and we wanted to, this was just before SpaceX joined forces with NASA. Okay. So at the time, they were still privately owned and not governed by <laughs> military restrictions. Right. So I was the only group to be allowed to bring in very, very affluent clients to introduce to the SpaceX concept, the mm. mission statement, what they were trying. So I was there right before NASA got in, and it was a phenomenal time uh, to be I able bet. to go there and walk around. So I worked with him on putting this big event on, and I've worked with them in Tesla and in the Gigafactory as well, which, That's awesome. which is an incredible location. It, which Gigafactory? Well, there's only one in Reno. Oh, the, yeah, right. Oh, that's right. Because the other ones aren't called Gigas. I yeah, the Gigafactory is the largest. Then that's what's weird. When you turn up, because it also wants to be self-sustainable, you drive outside of Reno for about an hour, and then all of a sudden it's there. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just like something you expect to see off of um, James Bond. Right. And it's the largest single building in the planet. Well, so I mean it's huge yeah i i read it's funny i actually just did uh some research on it um I, a couple weeks ago i was with my fiance and we were talking about we were watching something on elon right he becomes the richest man in the world and you know so you know obviously and i'm big into elon anyway but um i i watched his presentation when that came out and how his whole mission is for it to be completely self-sustaining they make mm -hmm. what it's lithium batteries there is, is that what it is yeah they do they, they, the whole thing is based on um the, the weakest link we've got for expansion is batteries. So the whole focus on the Gigafactory is to take a battery to make it smaller and last longer. That's right. And so it it produces, that building produces more than all the other lithium battery producers in the world combined. Yep, correct. And it is all under one building, one roof. It's the largest building in the world. And what did he say? By 20 something, like they were building it. By the time it's all complete, it's supposed to be a net zero uh, emissions. Like it's supposed yeah. to, and that's crazy. That's, cr yeah. I mean, that's just like mind blowing stuff. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Elon. Like he's like one of the three people like that. If I ever, if I ever, if you can meet three people in your life, actually, let's start there. You can meet three people in your life that you have not yet met yet. Who would they be? Me? Yeah. You. Well, the trouble is I'm actually an incredibly boring individual. Uh. So, I've played piano with Elton John. I've, I've sang with Andrea Bocelli in the feet of Michelangelo's David. I've hung around with the Pope in the Vatican. I've hung around with Richard Branson, Elon Musk. For me, the three people I want to hang around with are all in my house on a daily basis. So I'm a I, really I boring it. family man. I love that. I just love that so much. Well, for me, it's Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, and Tom Brady. Those three <laughs> guys, man. The, like those are the guys that I love. I, I do podcasting, right? So you can't you can't do have a podcast and not like Joe Rogan. Joe, uh, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk is just the the entrepreneur of all entrepreneurs, right? I mean, like literally single handedly saving saving mankind and sending us to Mars. And then Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm a huge a huge New England fan. My heart was broken when he went to Tampa, but huge fan of that. Um, so that's super cool. But anyway, I want to get back to this. So how does how does a bricklayer go do like the names that you're rattling off are insane? I mean, like these are massively. I mean, these are some of the most influential people in the whole world, very well known. And then obviously behind the scenes, probably even more influential that you know you won't even name names of. But like, what's the process? How did you get started doing this? Because like you're not exactly the like. I mean, you, you you don't look like the type of guy that would know all these people, right? You got some piercings. You're a little rough around the edge. How did you do this? Well, I think I'm an incredibly attractive you're, man, but thanks, Josh. You're, you're, you're very good looking. You're very good looking. All right. All right. No, look, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. You know, here's the daft thing. The names I'm dropping and the locations and the stories, they may sound good, but we're all identical. Mm. I reckon as entrepreneurs, I reckon we start life by being pissed off. I know Elon, <laughs> and this is true. I know Elon is constantly pissed off because things aggravate him. And that's what he then goes and tries to manipulate, massage, and, and change. You know, he was pissed off with banking. He invented PayPal. He doesn't like the way energy is. He invented Tesla. Everything he does usually starts because he's aggravated about something. That's right. As a kid, I never had any money. My family owned a bricklaying firm, and I was in East London, which, you know, was not very nice. And so I didn't want that. I wanted to have money. So that aggravation meant that I wanted to hang around with rich people. Now, the mm. funny thing is, I failed. 
I couldn't do it. I tried getting a job as a stockbroker, as an insurance agent, as a jet charter specialist. I tried all of these jobs that were in the world of affluent people. Right. And no one wanted to touch me, quite rightly, as you say, Josh, because I ride around on motorbikes. I've got <laughs> tattoos, piercing, and I'm 250 pounds of blunt instrument. That <laughs> is true. So I ended up getting a job which I was built for, which was the doorman of a nightclub. Now, here's the daft thing. I thought this was the lowest point of my life. I now had a job that my job description was slap someone when they got out of order. That was my, <laughs> that was my job description. Yeah. But what I started noticing was rich people. And the, the uh, clubs that I was working on the door of had a lot of affluent people. Mm. So I got to see how they interacted, how they communicated, how the fake rich people walked and talked. And there's a lot of difference between them all. And I suddenly realized, what do I have to do to get them to talk to me? Yeah. Now, this was in the early 90s. So as a doorman. I knew all the best parties. I knew all the best nightclubs. So I became like the Google, the walking Google of nightlife. And then I went from being the Google that worked off for tips to just help people. I started throwing my own parties. And here's where a twist happened. I threw a party and I used to charge like a hundred bucks to get into my party. Okay. Not a lot of money. This was right. back in the nineties. So that was a little bit, bit of money. Yeah, there, yeah, but yeah. Still not a lot, not a breaker. Right, okay? right. And I was trying to get rich people to turn up. And I would get a few because I knew them from the clubs, but not a great deal. Right. Most of the time in my parties would be people pretending to be rich. Right, right. Okay? And then I got in trouble. I got in trouble because I didn't have a liquor license. Oh, boy. And so I thought, shit, how can I um, keep doing my parties? Because I'm starting to get some momentum. Right. And I thought to myself, and I remember speaking to the, the agent that came over to me that served me with the potential of getting fined if I didn't get a liquor license. And I said, hang on a minute, is there a way that I don't have to pay this? Now, I wasn't trying to bribe him. Right. And he was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, is, wh how, what do I have to do to not have to even see you, not even have to speak to you? What right. do I have to do to make sure I don't need a liquor license? Now, the obvious one is, not having, and I remember saying this, right. not have any liquor at my party. <laughs> he said, well, that would do it. He said, also, the other way of doing it is don't sell it, just give it away. And I went, well, hang on a minute. What do you mean? He said, well, a liquor license is only when you're selling it. If you're giving it away for free, you don't need a liquor license because you're not selling anything. So oh. I went home and I went, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so I started charging $500 to $1,000 for my parties. And get this, all the drink and food is free. Oh, dang. That's now, so smart. Two things happened. One, I didn't need a liquor license. Okay. And two, all of the fakes that were just about paying $100 to get into my parties couldn't afford 1000 So I was ending up with smaller parties, but with richer people. Yeah. And that's how it started. All of a sudden, I started communicating. And people were going, oh, I love this party. And they would say to me, I love this party, but I'm going to Monaco next week. Do you know anyone in Monaco? And I'd be like, I'll take care of you. What do you need? And I just started reaching out and trying to build up these guys. Look, I've got this affluent client. He's coming into your area. I need him to be able to avoid the lines and walk into your club. He's going to prepay for a table and four bottles of champagne up front. So I just became this guy that tried to build up connections, not because I wanted to build up a concierge firm, but because I wanted to have rich people to talk to me. And that was the only reason for ever doing it. That's so great. Like, it's so interesting, the mindset you had going. I mean, here you think it's the lowest point of your life, right? Mm. Yet it, it turns out to be, you know, the thing that made you or the, you know, the starting point in to the thing that made you and those little shifts that you have along the way are just fascinating because I don't like, I don't think most people would have done that. I think most people would have looked at that and been like, well, I'm a bouncer at a club. That's my life. Right. But uh, most people wouldn't have, but every entrepreneur would have. The, the entrepreneurs would have gone, Oh shit. 
and all of the people that are sitting there that have spent the entire year binge watching Netflix yeah. and doing fuck all about their life, <laughs> they also would have gone, oh, my woe is me. Right. Give me a stimulus check. But the, the entrepreneur, those are the people that look at the opportunities. Those are the people that go, okay, what can I do that I'm in control of mm. that I can benefit from? So thank you very much for the compliment. But I think basically all entrepreneurs, all yeah. of them would have sat there and gone, okay, how can I make something out of this shithole? And yeah. that is what happened to me. And you're right. I've had people say to me before, oh, what if you could have avoided it? And here's the daft thing. The jet charter company that I tried getting a job at about five years later, was flying me around <laughs> to seduce me to get me to use that company with my clients. It was very funny. That Yeah, that's full circle right there. That's awesome. Okay, so I, I, yes, I, I do think you're right. Any, any true entrepreneur doesn't know how to sit still. They don't know how to yeah. take no for an answer, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, fine. You're going to put me here? Cool, we're going to do this. Oh, you take me out of that and put me here? Okay, great. We're going to do this. And it's just like the next thing, the next, wherever they are, they're going to make the best out of it. I do, I do uh, uh, agree with that as entrepreneurs. So I want to, but like, what, what happens from there? Like your story is so intriguing. Like, how do you go to start then growing this into you know, where you've grown it into today, uh, you know, do you, do you have like an official company, like with a team that kind of manages things? Is it just you now? Like, how does that work? Well, the answer is I did and I do. So let me okay. explain that. When I started off, it was just me uh, doing the parties yeah. and I would take some, you know, attractive girls and some guys to help put me, put it together. Then as right. that got bigger and I went from the party promoting scene to actually helping some of the biggest events in the planet, like the New York Fashion Week and yeah. the Monaco Grand Prix, then I needed a bigger team, okay? But I noticed something. It was all about establishing a brand, marketing, communication, relationships, and I was learning all of those things. So as I say, three years ago when the book came out, I was already moving away from the concierge industry and focusing on coaching and speaking at entrepreneurial events to get entrepreneurs to go, hey, stop going for what you think is achievable. Go for what's ridiculous. Go for something so stupid that people are going to laugh at you. Go for that. And so I started this transition. And when the book came out, it helped cement it. So yeah. now, now I have a small team, but I literally spend my time either doing virtual events, flying around the planet, doing live speaking events, coaching, working with my group at Sims Distillery. I end up doing all of that. So there has been a, a transition. But here's the funny thing. Some of my wealthiest clients I still work with because I like them. Yeah. So while I don't work at the concierge firm anymore, I still like doing the occasional thing like shutting down a museum or you know getting front row seats at the Milan Fashion Week or something because I just find that fun and it keeps me in contact with them. Yeah, for sure. So like with like one of the things I'd love for you to kind of touch on is the mentality of how rich people think, because I think oh, a lot of good. a lot of entrepreneurs right now, especially in today's world. I mean, I mean, hopefully most entrepreneurs don't watch the news, but if they do, you're living in fear. I mean, the news is just it's oh, my gosh, it's, so insane. it's insane. It's not even it's not even remotely close to reality. And it's like, no. this is the news. Anyway, so like, but there's a lot of fear going on right now. And there's a lot of, I think, scarcity too. Even, even established entrepreneurs, right? I mean, they might be making a couple hundred grand a year, maybe even a million bucks a year, but like, they're not in that mentality of how like the wealthy, wealthy people think, right? So like, talk about like, when you were going in and with meeting these guys, how did you get in the door? Like, what, what, what were they thinking? How do they think? How do they act? What are they looking for when it comes to like value and relationship building? Because like, getting the attention and becoming friends with a billionaire, it's not easy. It's probably a lot simpler than people think, but it's certainly not like you can just walk up to them on the street and be like, hey, homie, want to do business together? Right? Like, that's not how it works. Right? So like, how do they think? And how did you do? How did you navigate that? You've actually got quite a few questions in there. Yeah, so I'm going to sure. try and, and I'll be honest with you, Josh, they were fantastic questions. Thank so you. we're going to, I'm going to try and break down as many of those as I can. All right. For anyone that can see how gorgeous I am, you'll realize <laughs> that I've never focused on me as a brand. The first thing I always did was focus on me as a solution. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. You should write that down. People. Continue. There you go. <laughs> Here's an example. And, 
all of your listeners can listen uh, can can play along with this game. It's two o'clock in the morning and you've got a headache, okay? And you go out to the to the bathroom. You open up the bathroom cabinet and you grab the headache tablets. Question. Do you give a shit what the packaging is on that <laughs> headache tablet? Nope. No. Why? Because it's there singularly to solve a problem. Right. If something can solve a problem, air conditioning, servicing your car, you know, new tires, if something can solve a problem doing your taxes, you don't care about the peripherals. Now, if you're going to go and buy an outfit or – if you're going to go and buy a partner of yours jewelry, now that's aspirational marketing. One of them is solution-based. Mm. Hey, this solves a problem. The other one is aspirational. Hey, when you've made it, you're shopping at Cartier. When you've made it, you're shopping at uh, you know uh, Rolex. You know all of that kind of stuff. That's aspirational. Have you noticed that when you buy jewelry? It gets put in a little box, and that box gets put in another little box, and then a bow gets put mm -hmm. on it. There's so much pump on it to try and build in value, okay? Yeah. When you got a headache, you don't give a shit, okay? Right. So when I started, I thought to myself, well, okay, I don't have Josh's good looks. Okay? <laughs> I speak a bit funny. I've got tattoos. I have always ridden motorcycles. I now collect motorcycles. I'm 54 years old. I don't have a car, but I have 12 motorbikes. I okay? freaking love it. I love motorcycles. So I love my – I'm two wheels until, you know, I'm off it. Um, so the bottom line of it is I can't turn up with any prettiness. I have to focus on solution-based. So whenever I meet a billionaire client, and there's two ways to do it, one of them is how I do it or why I do it, and the next one, I'm going to tell you how to do it. And that's yeah. the thing you're going to want. So when I turn up to a client, I want to be able to turn up and go, hey, Josh, thanks a lot for taking the time. What's your problem? Or we spoke on the phone and you need this. Why do you need that? Bottom line of it is I very, very quickly turn a conversation into you. What do you want? What do you need? And the way that I do it, is I always work on a client and then I get clients to introduce me. See, I've never had phone numbers and I've never had emails on my concierge firm on the website. Never did it, okay? Because I want to be introduced. Wow. When someone else introduces you, you ride in on that credibility. And if you've got a billionaire, you can guarantee that his poorest mates are multi-millionaires. <laughs> so when the billionaire turns around and says, oh, you may have seen me the other week when I was, um, you know, playing football with, you know, Manchester United or when I was playing piano with Elton John or you may have seen me, I was at the, you know, they've stopped now, but the Victoria's Secrets parties, you know, you may have seen me. That was Steve Sims. So there's all my marketing there. Yeah. So I always ride in incredibility. Now, wow. I'm going to play a game with you, which you're going to suck at. Okay. Um, I have never failed on this 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 uh, this game, and the problem is we don't have another element to it. It'll make sense in a minute. So, okay. Josh, let's play the game. All right, let's do it. This weekend, I'm having a party on Saturday night. We, you know, you're close to me. You're in town, whatever. I'm here in Los Angeles, and you just happen to be here. And I say, "Hey, Josh, come to my party on Saturday night." Okay. What's the first question you ask me? Where and when? All right. Okay. Where and when? Great. Great question. What's the second question you ask me? Uh, who's going to be? Who's going to be there? Great question. Great question. All right. What's the third question you're going to ask me? Um, do I need to bring anything? It took you until your third question to make it not selfish about you. Oh, dang! Dang! All right. Whenever you walk up to a relationship, everyone is about the, hey, I want to work with Elon Musk because working for Elon will help me. Mm. Working for Elon will get me money. Yeah. Working for Elon will make me look good. If you can turn up to a party and the first question is, Josh, thank you so much for the invite. Hey, buddy, what can I bring? What can I help with? Then my the first, yeah. My yeah. first question brings value. Now, here's the funny thing. And everyone out there listening and you, you can try this tonight. I don't know why, 
But you ask a lady that same game, and she'll ask the first question is, what can I bring? The guys are always like, <laughs> what time? Where's it going to be? And these are all questions that help them selfishly. The ladies, and I don't understand why, always turn around and say, oh, thank you. What shall I bring to the party? So if you're trying to get into a relationship, the first thing you've got to do, and I'll give you some examples, is turn up going, hey, and, and trust me, write this down. And, and I, again, I'll use you as an example, Josh. How many times have you been at an event and someone's walked up to you and go, Josh, how are you doing? And so you many times. No, oh. you, and you have no idea who they are. Yeah, for sure. And what's going through your head? You're sitting there going, who the fuck's this person? Yeah, that's it. You're, you're like, oh, gosh, please tell me your name. Please jog some memory. Yeah, yeah. How do, do I know? Yeah. Do I know you have a – so you're stood there yeah. paralyzed going, well, I don't want to look like an arsehole. Now, all along, that person's just seen you on TV, seen you online, heard your podcast, know your cool shit. They don't actually know you. Yeah. But, you know, that stood there going, oh, you know, uh, hey, and you're in the, you're the one in a bad situation. Right, right. So uh -huh. whenever I walk up to someone, and I would do this with you, if we didn't know each other and I'd been listening to your show and been introduced, I'd walk up to you and I'd go, hey, Josh, how are you doing? Steve Sims, we don't know each other. That would be the first thing I would say. Now, it sounds stupid, but it would calm you down oh, straight 100%. away. Because I've just gone, hey, we don't know each other. But then I would follow it with bringing something to the party by going, I love your show. It's a great show. How are you distributing it? Because I have a pretty good reach. I'd love to be able to help you distribute your show. Would that be of interest to you? Or I could turn around and go, hey, I know Rogan. Do you want me to make an introduction? Or I know you're a mad fan of Elon Musk. I'm actually putting an event on. Would it be of interest? I'm bringing something to the party. The straightaway captures your engagement and attention and sucks you over onto my side of the fence. Right. As I'm walking to you and going, hey, Josh, how you doing? You're sitting there going, what does this guy want from me? Does he want a selfie? Does he want to pitch me? Does he want to get on my show? But the second I walk up to you and I bring something to the party, I brought you into my yard. Right. And what you did is you flipped it and you went instead of – you being wanting something from me now you've made it to where I want something from you because like you've offered and I'm like, I want stick around. And now I want a relationship with you because now you have something that I want. And I didn't know I wanted it until you told me it, but now you've offered it. I don't want you to go anywhere. I had a client. Um, well, I have a client, you know, <laughs> he's not gone. Um, but he's very famous. And if I drop the name, you'd go, Whoa, you know, he's a, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a big person. And, um, I knew he was going to be at a party. And I'm not very good at networking events. When I go to an event, I'm going there for laser focus for a reason. Okay? Yeah. It may be because my wife wants to go and we just want to dance and get drunk one night. Or there's someone at that party that I need to meet, I need to connect with, and I need to do business with. All yeah. right? Those are the two reasons I go out. Yeah. So I knew for a fact this guy was going to be at the event. I made sure I was there. I walked up to him, and I had done research prior to meeting him on projects that he was working on. And I had been working on one of the projects that he was looking at, and I noticed three things that could possibly trip him up down the line, okay? So when I went up to him, I went, hey, how you doing, X? My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me, okay? You hear me say that a lot. Uh, but that's, again, the first thing I said to him, bring he, it, suddenly, yeah. he suddenly relaxed. You could see the body yeah. position, just relax, because he's a well-known celebrity on TV, and you saw him just go, oh. you know, he was now relaxed. He didn't have to overthink. And I said, um, excuse me for, for stepping out and, and talking about this, but I know you're involved in XYZ. I really like that project, but I would noticed that there were three things that if it was my project may have tripped me up. Have you looked into uh, uh, and uh? And I said that to him, okay? Mm. And he looked at me, and he then looked at his buddy next to him, and they started laughing at each other. <laughs> uh, 
And then he looked at me and I thought to myself, this is not the response I was hoping for. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, you can't win them all. You know, I'm being right. publicly laughed at. And as they're laughing, other people are watching these two laugh at me. Oh, boy. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to just back off here. And he must have noticed that I was starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, which I was. And he turned around. He said, no, 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 please, please, please. And he put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, we're not laughing at you. And that's the classic line. We're laughing with you. That's <laughs> what I he said, but you know, we've been running that project for three years. And six months ago, we came up with those issues ourselves. Mm. And that's why we canceled the project. Wow. He said, you don't know what we know, but you brought to our attention those three projects probably just by doing Google searches and a little bit of research yourself. And I went, yeah, it just came to me. And he said, you could have saved us three years if we'd have met you earlier. So I want to ask you, would you be open to looking at a couple of other projects we've got going on? Crazy. Been working with a guy for about five years now. That's crazy. That's awesome. And that works. And absolutely like works. I turned up and I showed, I exposed that I was there to provide a solution. I wasn't asking for a selfie. Yeah. I wasn't asking him to employ me. I showed up that I was a solution-based individual and I knew how to get shit done. Yeah. And I'm offering you that advice straight away. And he wanted problem solvers. And as I say, I work for him even today. Yeah, that's incredible. Because like, I think it, it sounds like what you're saying is the, wealth, the wealthy, going back to kind of how we opened the conversation with the, how do the wealthy think, right? Like it so sounds like what you're saying is the wealthy guard their time. And the thing that is going to int intrigue them, the thing that's going to get them to listen to you is, do you have a solution to the pro a problem that they have that you can help them solve? And if you have those things, like if you're, you know, if you value, you respect their time, come up to them and, and are able to provide a solution or offer a solution that solves a problem, you're in. Yeah. They, they, one of the, that was one of the other questions you said that were brilliant in there. How do they think? Yeah. Wealthy people realize that the thing that they can't purchase, manipulate, massage, uh, massage, invent, design is time. Yeah. And so what they do is they try to reduce the amount of stuff that they do so that what they do do creates the most impact. Mm. And the, 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 the young rich, the new rich, are focused on their bank account. The wealthy are focused on their impact per hour. And that's, that is literally the transition. You meet a lot of people and mm. you, you, you've seen it. You talk to someone, you go, hey, that's a nice watch. And they turn around, they go, yeah, it's $45,000. Yeah. They just quote the price tag at you, yep. you know? Yep. Oh, yeah, I like your car. Yeah, limited edition is 500 grand. All of these people are focused on the price tag. Yep. Okay. They're not wealthy. They may be rich, right. but they're not wealthy. The wealthy are focused on the impact. You know, it's interesting that you say that in the way that you said it, which is, you know, because we we oftentimes look at things as like, there's two things, you know, there's two currencies of life, right? There's time and there's money, right? And some people would throw in their relationships, but, you know, time and money, right? When, and what's interesting is money can buy just about anything, right? I mean, you can do almost anything that you want with money. But the one thing that you said, it, which is, the, the kind of the common denominator, if no matter if you're completely dead broke or you're Elon Musk and the richest man in the whole world and everybody in between, that common denominator is we all have 24 hours in a day, right? Like we all have the, that is it, universally we are connected by that. And when yep. you understand, when you look at that, if you, to the wealthy guy worth a hundred billion dollars, guy worth a billion dollars, like what are you going to offer him? More cash? Like he's got it. He's got it all, right? So the only thing of value that you could offer him that money couldn't buy him just in and of itself is his time and it, yeah. or her time. And if you can shorten that process up, if you can give him or her more of that time back, that's value that they haven't gotten elsewhere.
Yeah. One hundred percent. You're you're mm. spot on. That's how to get the attention of an affluent person, save them hours in their day, and they will work with you every single day of their life. The more mm. that I literally had a client quote to me the hours that I saved him on something, because within my coaching we'd restructured some of the stuff, and he came at me with the hours of not how much money he'd spent but the hours per year that he'd been able to save over the last few years. So yeah, they, they view hours. How, okay. So for someone that is trying to get into these circles and let's say they even have the chance, right. To, to meet some billionaires, meet some, you know, wealthier or you know, uh, affluential people. Um, but they don't, they don't know their problem, right? Like they don't know what they could go. Like they, they can't go up to, I mean, I, I, I don't know. There was a, a kid talking to me one time and he was like, Josh, I'm going to meet Ty Lopez, right? You know, Ty, yeah, of course, of course, you know, Ty. Um, and, and he's like, I want to meet Ty, right? Like, what problem should he, what should I solve of his? I was like, I don't know. Like, I haven't studied Ty. I haven't like looked into it. So like for the person that, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're going to a party tomorrow or they're, you know, going to meet someone, they're going to run into somebody where they have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone, but they don't know specific problems. They can't just walk up and say, Hey, I can help with X. How would you then open that conversation or, or what, what would your advice be to them if they're just starting out and not, not specifically knowing the problem quite yet? Well, you've just answered it. You know, in you asking the question, you've answered it. And usually our problems come down to the exact same thing every single time. It's distribution, it's awareness, it's time, it's money. It's going to be one of those things. Mm. Tay Lopez, for argument's sake, does he want any more clients? Does mm. he want a wider reach? Does he want a louder, larger platform? There are people in the planet that have no idea who Tay Lopez is. Okay. Does he want to reach more people? So like Fargan would say, Josh, Josh walks up and goes, Hey, Tay, how are you? You don't know me. I love what you stand for. I have a platform that can help double your reach. Would that be of interest to you? Mm. You know, you can straight away do that. The good thing about going for millionaires, billionaires, and people of profile is you can cyber stalk these people. Okay. Yeah. Your next door neighbor that you just know by his first name, Ronald, is very hard to find out details on until you yeah. get more stuff. But Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez, Gary V, me, the Pope, Sir Elton John, any of those people you can look at and go, well, okay, what do you need? Yeah. You know, yeah. what do you have? Sir Elton John, I worked for Sir Elton John for uh, just under eight years. Okay. He runs a, a party every year, uh, the Oscar party in Hollywood. There's only one reason that Oscar party goes on is to get affluent people to come in to bid halfway through the event because they're drunk out of their skull <laughs> on his items, hang around with him and his celebrity friends, and all the money raised goes to the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Okay? So what do you need? You need higher profile clients. You need people that are willing to spend money at the auction, and you want to have people to support his cause. So if I can turn up and give you those three things, I'm in business with Sir Elton John. Yeah. So that's sure. what you've got to do. With Elon, before NASA came along, we were bringing awareness to his uh, push to build civilian reusable space vessels. Yeah. Okay? We, were, we had 60 of literally the richest people in the planet. It was like a presidential cavalcade, all of the secured vehicles we had as we were taking our clients to SpaceX. It was insane, the people we had there. We had our clients at hotels under pseudonyms because they were the richest people in our countries. And we didn't want people looking at, quite simply, potential kidnap risks. Right, right. So we had that kind of stuff going on. But if you can look at a person and go, okay, I want to get in, in touch with Rogan, okay? What does Rogan need? He ain't going to need money. Yeah. That's the first thing. Any celebrity... Worth that salt, any profile, anyone of influence or power, if you walk up to them and you want them to turn away, you want them to get <laughs> out of the party, you just walk up to them and you go, hey, how are you? How much would it cost me for you to do this? That's a prostitution solicitation. No one of profile ever wants to be solicited. No one ever wants to be a commodity that can be bought or sold. They don't want that. Mm. But if you can walk around and go, hey, I know, and, and most people of profile back charities. Yeah. Charities are a great, great way. To, if you go up to them and go, hey, I've been watching about the Save the Whales 
And I notice you're a great advocate for Save the Whale. Why are whales so important to you? Mm. They then start talking to you. Mm. And you go, well, hang on a minute. I run a really successful Think Different Theory podcast. I would like to expose your story and what you stand for to my uh, follower. Would that be of interest? You know, I'd like you to come to my event. Let me help you generate dollars. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example of how this worked in accuracy. I had a client of mine that wanted to meet the rock band journey. That was what he wanted. First lesson, if anyone wants to write this nugget down, be prepared. Never give a client what they ask for. Give them what they dream and desire. And it'll be two totally different things. Why? Because people ask for things that they think is potentially achievable. All right? Your job is to go way above and beyond that. Plus the fact, if you ever give a client what they ask for, that's called a transaction. And that's what Amazon does. And that will put you out of business. So he wanted to meet Journey. So I went, oh, thank you very much. Let me see what I can do. I knew by meeting Journey and giving him what he asked for, it would be like, eh, Steve did what I asked for. Whoopie do, get out the cake. So what I did was I knew that his brother's son had autism. I just knew that because I'd worked with him for many years. In doing some digging into the rock band journey, did you know the drummer's son is autistic? Mm -mm. So I went forward, and this may sound creepy, but you want to know how it works? I'm telling you. I went towards the drummer, and I said, hey, how are you? Um, Guess what? You don't know me. But my job is to make amazing things happen. I've got a true fan of yours that wants to uh, reach the pinnacle of his adoration of your group. So there's a little bit of smoke being blown here. Right, right, right. And you go, and he would love to do something with your rock band. But let's be serious. We don't want to do an exchange for dollars because that would just cheapen who you guys are. Trust me. Journey, during that comeback tour, would have been very thankful of the money. But you don't want to flounce it in their faces. Right. So you turn around and you go, I want to tell you about my my client's brother's family. They have autism. And get, get this next line. Do you have any experience with autism? Mm. And he's like, shit, man, my son's autistic. I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> of course I had idea. I'd done my homework. So then you turn around and go, well, look, I know that there's going to be a fee charge for this, but what I would like to do that's bigger than that is I would like to put this experience together and have anyone that comes to see what we do, how we do it, hear about it afterwards, articles, blogs, podcasts, I'd like to raise awareness for autism and I'd like to wrap it around Autism Speaks. Mm. And maybe we could do some background, uh, back um, stage meet and greets, some autographed guitars, and it's all auctioned off and all the profits go to Autism Speaks. Would that be of any interest? And wow. of course, they, he loved, he told the band members that this needed to be done. Wow. Okay. So go in with something that you can connect with. And if there's five people, find one of those people that you can get a connection with and get them to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. It's crazy. And and I think, so uh, a mentor of mine once told me, he said, um, the, the eighth wonder of the world is leverage, right? And everybody has their eighth wonders of the world, you know, compound interest or whatever. But he said, leverage, that's his favorite word is leverage. And what's interesting is that, a, a task for you could require so much time and effort, but a task, that same exact task for somebody else is two seconds of their time. For example, for you to go convince all of Journey that this was a good idea would have taken you forever, but you convince one of them and then he goes, hey, we need to do this. Boom, it takes two seconds of his time, right? Yep. And so what you did is you found that point where you could provide value right there and that pulled the lever that put the whole thing in motion rather than you trying to go do it yourself. And it never would have happened unless you instigated it there. And so going in there with the understanding of like, hey, listen, like I'm I'm pulling this lever, right? And it might take me a lot of work for that one. But once that one thing is knocked down, everything else falls because now all that's going to be taken care of. You know what I mean? Through the power of leverage. And that's so fascinating. I don't think people realize and understand like the compound and leverage effect 
of getting into this because like you're not going to be able to walk in like you walking into a room now you can talk to anybody you want right how, how old are you now uh 54 okay so you're 24 years old now and we've got um <laughs> and we've got you walking into a room versus someone that's actually 24 right now that it, it is dead broke and just walking in right the the for you to get somebody super super simple for him to him or her to, at 24 years old to talk to somebody stupid hard but that first one, it just gets easier and easier and easier. You get more and more and more experience. You have more and more and more leverage. And like, I, I think that's what people are missing when it comes to this type of stuff. Because what you're talking about, I feel like seems so far out of reach for so many people. But like, I know from personal experience, I mean, I, I came from nothing and no, I mean, I was a farm boy in the middle of nowhere without a cell phone until I was 18 years old, right? Like completely you know, completely grew up very, very sheltered. And like now, you know, I'm friends with people like Russell Brunson. I'm Gary V's number one roast. Like, and it became through the power of that, through trading your way up, building relationships, figuring out what it was that those other people wanted, building relationships with them. And now it's way easier for me to walk into a room. I mean, I can't walk into a room with Elon Musk, but like some people are like, how did you do that? I'm like, it took me three years. That yeah, seems like a long is, time, but that's not that long. It's not that long. And you and I both know that we've got told to fuck off many, many times. <laughs> so many we, times. <laughs> we've, been, we've been blocked by security guards, by assistants, by gatekeepers a million times. But yeah. the beautiful thing about pain and rejection is we don't remember it. We don't actually know. I, I usually, when I'm doing speeches, I say to someone, you know, have you ever, have you ever trapped your, your thumb in a door? Or you ever trapped your, you banged your, your hand with a hammer? And everyone goes, yeah, I've done that. And I said, oh, can you remember the pain? And you get a few of them go, yeah, I can. And I go, bullshit. You can't remember pain because our heads, they, it eliminates it. You know, I got tattoos over me. Every time I get a tattoo, I'm like, Jesus, I'm never doing this. <laughs> and then six months later, I go and get another one. We can't remember pain. We also can't remember what it was like to get rejected. So mm. we keep going forward. And again, this is the difference between the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur goes, oh, shit, they turned me down. The following day, we go and try again. Yeah. Okay? Until eventually we get the yes. And then it continues. And I noticed something. And this, this may sound like a bit of a weak link, but when I was in London and I was a young lad, I was like 15 years old. I'm working on the building site with my dad and my granddad, which consisted of us working on a building site and getting rained on all the week and then going into a pub on a Friday night and getting into a pub fight. Now, when I was a young lad in East London, I was a big lad, okay, and I used to get picked on any of the young lads and the smaller guys that wanted to earn their stripes. All they had to do was be seen punching me in the head and they earned their stripes quicker. Okay. I was always getting beaten up. I didn't want to fight and I was always getting slapped around. So what I thought to myself one day was, I don't want to fight anymore. You know, I, I want to get, I want to stop getting beaten up. I took up kickboxing. Okay. I got pretty good at it. I ended up fighting for the British team in light heavyweight for kickboxing. Nice. Now, here's something. I really like kickboxing. I love martial arts. I think it's fantastic. But when I started kickboxing, my goal was to become Bruce Lee, walk into the pub on a Friday night, and deck out 30 people <laughs> without so much as a scrape. That was my dream, okay? Something funny happened. The better I got at fighting, when I was in the bar and it started to rumble and kick off and I would step off my stool ready to play, everyone avoided me. Mm. They could sense I was ready. The funny thing is, as entrepreneurs get better at communicating with people and they start talking and they start succeeding, when you go to the next person with the strange, ridiculous, crazy idea that you had, you know, a couple of people beforehand, they look at you and they go, oh, I sense he gets a lot more yeses than he gets no's. Mm. And when you start tipping over that, people can read it. And you'll be amazed yeah. at where you used to get told to bugger off. You're going forward and you're going, hey, I want to get this done. And they'll be like, okay, do you want it Tuesday or do you want it Wednesday? No, I want it now. Let me get this done. All of a sudden, there's this preparation that mm. they can sense about you that you, you keep going until you get what you need.
and they sense it. And it makes it easier. You've got to put the dog shit work in now. You've got to have the door slammed in your face. You've got to be laughed at. And you mentioned Elon Musk's one of your one of your greats. I'll give you a perfect story quoting Elon for you. Two of my clients were with me at this event with Peter Diamandis and uh, Elon Musk. And I had been told, can you go and get Elon and bring him from the room that he was waiting in into the room to meet everybody. And we only had about 30 people in there. And I wanted to pay a bit of respect to my two clients that I had who were very wealthy people and very powerful. So I said, do you want to come with me and privately meet Elon before the other people do? And they were like, oh, my God. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> so I took them over to meet up with Elon Musk. Now, Elon doesn't say a lot. He only speaks when he needs to. I've heard that, actually. Yeah, he really – he ain't a chitty-chatter person. He will stand there – Laugh, giggle, smile, but he won't be part of the conversation until he's got something critical to add to the conversation. Mm. He doesn't give a shit what you watched on TV last night. Couldn't care, all right? So we went over there, and we're walking through SpaceX, and I remember, and if any of you have never seen SpaceX, watch the first movie, Iron Man, because in Stark's um, factory with all the rockets, yeah. that actually spacex in hawthorne that's crazy and because of it when you walk into spacex marvel actually gave him the iron man costume so it's in the uh lobby of spacex oh no way yeah that's it's actually so cool it's actually there. but if you want to watch the first 10 seconds of uh or the 10 first 10 minutes of iron man that is actually elon's factory and they're actually all working and elon's actually in there in the shop but no anyway way. that's incredible okay. he is yeah he's got a white lab coat on but elon's actually in it so i walk up to the room grab him we're walking back elon's a bit nervous because he's now going to meet about 30 people that he doesn't know now they're all incredibly powerful just as wealthy as him all right yeah. but he gets nervous i had two clients with me to the left of me elon's to the right one of my clients didn't even care about having a conversation with Elon. He was just happy to be walking through SpaceX with Elon Musk. Right. The client on the end, he was now on acid. He was like so pumped. <laughs> trying to get into a conversation. So he's like, oh, what's that? What's that then? And Elon's like, fuel cell. Oh, what's, what's, what's that then? You know, he was, he was getting to the point that I was actually going to say to him, hey, calm it down. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I was prepared to do that. And just before I did, the guy uh, threw bait at Elon, and he's like, Mr. Musk, how do you feel about NASA? Now, again, this was just before NASA actually took them on. And it was at the time that NASA was publicly, via the social threads, Twitter and everything, taking the piss out of a civilian entering into the space industry. There's no place for civilians and rich kids, that was one of the quotes they used to get into the space industry. Right. That was one of the quotes. Yeah, I remember that. that. I remember that. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so this guy said, how do you feel about NASA publicly humiliating you and stuff like that? Elon didn't even miss a beat. He didn't even look at the client. All he said was, they'll always laugh at you before they applaud. <laughs> and that was all he said. Now, thankfully, it shut my boy up. My other client just had this big grin on his face. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, I have always cherished that statement. Do what is so ridiculous that people are going to laugh at the attempt until they applaud for the achievement. And yeah. that's what I've always done. If what you're trying to do isn't laughable, you ain't trying hard enough. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, many big name, you know, successful entrepreneurs, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world, the, the Elon Musk, who I mean, certainly embody that none, none more so than Elon Musk. I mean, I would say Elon Musk has been probably the most publicly criticized entrepreneur, especially with Tesla. I mean, I remember it wasn't even that long ago. It was a couple of years, maybe that when, when Tesla went into that real, like that crunch and people weren't sure if it was going to make it. I mean, the amount of people that came out and media and criticized Elon Musk as just this horrible failed entrepreneur, this guy that, you know, took all this investor's money. He was a scam artist. He was a, you know, didn't know what he was doing, blah, blah, blah. Needed to be out of this, like all these crazy things. And now you look at him now and you're like, how could somebody even have that conversation, right? Like, how does that even happen? But you're right. It's because it's easy now. 
yay, Elon Musk. But back then, everyone was laughing. And I think it's like, I think that's important to remember for the entrepreneur. If you can develop that, that type of thick skin, and not even though so much the thick skin, but just the, that much belief in your own vision of what it is that you're trying to accomplish, you can do anything. Well, I, and that's another trait that I've noticed about the really powerful and successful people that I hang around with. They don't care. Yeah. When someone stands there and jeers at you, it's like the haters we get on social feeds. You know, someone said to me once before, be so successful, you have haters. I get trolls on my social feed going, how can you trust, trust a man that's dressed up with an earring? You know, and I get yeah. people All I, if you look at some of these people's profile, they will make you giggle. Yeah. You don't want to respond to them. It's irrelevant. So right. when people start throwing shit at you, Look at the source. And the classic one is when you're sitting with your mates and you and those are always the dangerous one because you think you're you think your mates have got your back. Not all of them always have. Most okay? of them don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's always going to be that one that sits there and goes, Oh, you can't do that. That's, you're gonna fail. They don't want you being successful because it's gonna validate how inadequate they are. Yep. And so they are the crab that tries to hold on to you. Not let you go, yeah, know your place, mate. As a bricklayer, when I started trying to do different things and getting out, but then going back into the pub on a Friday night, I noticed I was in the wrong room. Mm. And I came up with a saying back then in the late 80s, I came up with a saying that I had in my head, I am the room I'm in. So if mm. I'm in the room full of broke-ass bikers, by default, that's me. Mm. I started going to like the bars of high-end hotels, watching people and spending four hours drinking the same beer because <laughs> I couldn't afford two or three beers. Hell, I couldn't afford a cocktail. No way in the world. So I started doing that because I wanted to be in the right room. Mm. I ended up, strangely enough, being in a lot of room with a lot of people that were also just as fake as me trying to be something and i got to recognize them and and that was also very educational to me yeah and it's interesting i mean how much proximity is power i remember um that was one of grant cardo's he was trying to sell this was uh when he was doing the tanks growth con down in miami they you know selling the vip packages for like twenty thousand bucks and somebody called them up uh, on like it was one of one of his shows or whatever and they're like Grant, come on, man. Like, how can you charge $20,000 for a VIPC? It's just closer. You can't actually tell me that it's worth $20,000, right? And he goes, no, the seat's not worth $20,000. Heck, the seat's not worth anything. He's like, you're paying $20,000 because the guy sitting next to you is going to be worth 100 million bucks. The guy sitting on the, you know, three seats down is worth a billion. The guy sitting over there, he's like proximity. That's what you're buying. You're buying access to wealthy people so that you can network with them, think like them, act like them, understand them. That's what's worth the $20,000. And like when you start to realize and you start to think like that and you start to realize that that's how he's thinking even now. He's thinking, what can I buy for a hundred grand, a million, 10 million to get next to uh, you know these people? I remember um, Russell Brunson um, trying to, you know, get next to Tony Robbins, right? And everybody wants to be next to Tony Robbins, one of the most influential people in you know, personal development space in the whole world, right? And um, Tony Robbins was uh, doing a, a big like launch event or something like that, right? And there was a domain that they wanted and somebody else already owned it. And so Tony Robbins couldn't get it. And so Russell found this out. And I, I wanna say he paid something like a million bucks or something like that just for the domain, bought the domain and gifted it to, to Tony Robbins. And guess who's now friends with Tony Robbins? You think that that relationship was worth a million dollars? A hundred percent, right? Is the domain worth a million bucks? No, it's a domain, right? But that gift, because that's what he wanted, was. And like, that's what you're buying to get next to these people. Yep, yep, 100%. That's that. And if people could just take that down and, and, and realize that, and especially today, because we've had all of the ability for us to stand next to each other removed. Yeah. But we can still contact people. And yeah. the good thing is 99% of people are at home or are stationary or are glued to screens. There's no better time for you to be able to contact people. Yep. I usually do one to two speaking gigs uh, a month. And because we're not traveling anymore, you know, I can't go and do those. Yesterday morning was a stupid day for me. Six o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon, I did three virtual stages. Wow. One of them was in Japan. Wow. So 
it's it's just you can do so, so much, much more yeah. now and connect with so many more people. I would not have been able to do those three gigs in a normal uh, month. Yeah, that would have taken me three months to do, especially the one in Japan. Yeah, because I've had to have flown like twelve hours. Um, so we've got the ability to reach out to people. If you can step into the conversation and just like you said, answer someone's problem. And in the in the in the situation of Russell, he answered Tony's issue. Yeah, you know, yep. he found out what the issue was. And he brought something to the party to gain the interest. It's amazing. Amazing. Steve, I want to be respectful of your time here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we're going to push this out to everybody. Where can people find you? Uh, where do you want to point people to? We'll make sure it gets broadcasted out to all of our audience. Well, if you want to join my direct community and actually interact with me, I have simsdistillery.com. I've also got a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Or if you just want to kind of like cyberstalk me and not talk to me, my website is stevedsims.com. Stevedsims.com, uh, The Entrepreneur Advantage with Steve Sims Facebook group. What was the first one? simsdistillery.com simsdistillery.com we will link those down below guys in the description and in the emails make sure to check that out and go over them and follow them or follow him steve thank you for your time seriously this was a, one of one of my favorite podcasts that i've done certainly in a very long time so thank you very much i appreciate your time thanks man love the energy absolutely guys as always hustle hustle god bless do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world i love you all and i will see you on in the next episode take it easy fam peace Bye. <laughs>